Good morning. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, we'll be there in just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, I'll admit, I'll admit I'm, a, I'm a little nervous this morning, or at least a little more nervous than I normally am, uh, to present this, this lesson in particular, because I do think it's one of a, one that can be rather sensitive to some. Um, and so I, I, I am a little nervous because there's going to be this temptation uh, for, for you all. There's going to be a temptation for you to, to tune me out this morning, or at least more than usual. Um, because as we talk about uh, being married and, and being unmarried, there's going to be the temptation for you all to look at me uh, and say to yourselves, well, he doesn't he doesn't really know what that's like. He doesn't know what he's, he's talking about there. Uh, for those of you who are married, you may be thinking to yourselves, well, um, he's only been married 10 years. I mean, just wait till it's 20. Wait till it's 30. Wait till it's 77. Then he'll really know what it's like uh, to, to be married. He'll really know the difficulties of that. And for those who are not married, you may be thinking to yourself, well, he's been married 10 years. He's been married pretty much his whole adult life. He doesn't know what it's like to be unmarried. He doesn't know the difficulties of being single in this world as an adult, things like that. And really to both of those uh, judgments, I would say, you know what? You're right. It's true. Um, however, my purpose this morning, and my purpose every single time I'm up here, is not just to share to you my own experiences in life. I'm not just up here to tell you these things that I've observed in my own life and now it's going to be truth for, for you. That, that's not why I'm, I'm up here. That's never why I'm up here. That's never why anybody should ever be up here. My, my purpose here this morning is to do my best uh, to talk about God's Word and to reveal uh, things that I hope are, are encouraging to you. I, I intend to stick to uh, Scripture and from Scripture reach conclusions on being married and being unmarried. But I'll admit, again, as I think about this topic and as I look out at the audience this morning, I understand we got quite a diverse audience. We got a lot of people who are in a lot of different stages in life. Um, as far as being married and unmarried is concerned, uh, we have kids, right? Uh, we have adults. We have newlyweds. We have some who are soon to be married. We have those who have been married 40, 50, 60 years. We have singles who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and up. We have some who have always been single. We have some who are widows, uh, some who are widowers, some who have been remarried, some who have been divorced and remarried, some who have just been divorced and are now single, some who are single with children. We have people in so many different circumstances. And so, this is a rather difficult topic to stand up here and, and speak to you all about. But my hope is that this morning it'll still be beneficial to all of you, despite the person up here might be unqualified to talk about it in some respect. But given the sensitivity of this topic, I will do my best to choose my words carefully. However, I'll admit to you my temptation. My temptation is to say a statement and then immediately try and qualify it, immediately say, well, when I say this, what I really mean is this, or I understand this is also true or something like that. To immediately give some sort of uh, qualification to things that we're going to say. If I were to say that with every single statement, we would be here all morning. Um, 
There are going to be some weird circumstances in life that make absolute statements pretty complicated, and so I hope you'll give me some, some grace as far as that is uh, concerned. There's going to be exceptions. There are going to be counterpoints and things like that. But what I hope to do this morning is to look primarily at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Again, if you're not already turned there, go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend the majority of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but try to make applications uh, from other scriptures as well. And the goal is to, to provide uh, three general truths uh, about being married and about being uh, unmarried that we can draw from this particular uh, passage. 1 Corinthians 7 actually talks quite a bit about being married and unmarried. Uh, and, but what's interesting is that in the middle of this discussion, he actually starts talking about things that seem well, rather unrelated uh, to, to marriage, but he draws an important conclusion and the first truth that I want to look at this morning. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and begin with me in verse 29. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 29, he says, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. I believe the first truth that he establishes here in verses 29 through 31 is that each of these roles is temporary. However, these are temporary roles that are used for the purpose of guiding us to the cross, guiding us to Jesus, guiding us towards God. That God has created these particular roles and really all the things in this world to help us in our service uh, to God. But he points out, I believe, the first truth, which is that these roles are, in fact, temporary to some degree. He, he talks specifically about marriage, but then he starts talking about other things. And he essentially says everything in this world, in verse 31, for the form of this world is passing away that all of these things are, are temporary, being single and being married as well. Matthew chapter 22 talks about, like, in the resurrection, they, are neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So marriage, in some way, is going to be temporary in the resurrection. But then, you look at the end of Revelation, chapters 19, and really through the end of the book, you start to see this picture of us being married to the Lamb, us being married to Christ. So in that way, singleness is also somewhat temporary in some respects, or at least as we think of being married or, or unmarried. But as we often do with temporary things, is we place far too much value on them. Because they're right in front of us. It, it's what we're living day to day. It's what we can see. And we place far too much value on these particular things. And, and, and we often use them to satisfy our own temporary desires. May we all put more stock, and as Bill talked about last Sunday afternoon, uh, the spiritual realm. To put more stock in what is more real than what, that which is fear, uh, uh, physical, the spiritual realm. Maybe put more stock in our spiritual bodies. But we can use these particular roles to act selfishly, which actually moves us further away from the gospel, further away from God. And both of these roles, I believe, can act in that selfish manner. Because outside of the church, marriage is often spoken of uh, as this particular thing that you can do uh, to make you happy. Like If you want to be happy, well, marriage is certainly one way you can do that. So 
Go be married. And it's going to be one of these things where it's like a consumer relationship, where it's only going to last just so long as I'm getting uh, what I'm putting into it. Preferably, though, more than what I'm actually putting into it. We're hoping that marriage can be something like that. Do we ever use our marriage like that? Do we ever use our spouse to just simply satisfy our own desires without any type of thought of what they might want? Yeah, we can use marriage pretty selfishly. That's a pretty skewed view of marriage, though. I hope you understand that that is not the biblical view of marriage, that that's not what it's supposed to be. And for those who are unmarried, you could argue that this role even more so lends itself to selfishness, or at least this is what the world would promote. Um, I often, whenever I'm looking, uh, uh, doing some research on a particular topic, I'm kind of interested on just what Google has to say on it. And so I decided just to go ahead and uh, type into Google the benefits of being single. Just typed in that phrase and clicked on a few of those articles I read through them. And it's interesting. You read through these articles and in every single article, every point that is made is completely self-centered. Every single one, the benefits of being single is going to be better for you. They say that you're going to be healthier if you're single. You're going to look better if you're single. You can be more sexually active if you are single. You can play more golf if you're single. You can uh, do more yoga if you're single. You can party more if you're single. And, of course, you can have more money if you're single. Man, who wouldn't be single in that respect? Why wouldn't we go after that? Because we don't have to have that consumer relationship with some spouse who might get in the way of that. Man, we can have it all to ourselves. That, too, is not the biblical view of being single. But you can see how both being married and unmarried can promote a selfish lifestyle. They can both lend themselves to selfishness. And similar to that, we can look to each role to fulfill our ultimate satisfaction. Where we look for this role to give us everything that we need. As if being married or being single is going to fill some sort of void in our lives. And this can often result in covetousness in some degree. Now, there can certainly be uh, fulfilling things that each role can participate in, and we'll have more to say on that later. But if you're married, and you are envious of the single life, and you are looking towards the single life in some covetous way, thinking that your life would just be so much better if you were single, you got to stop. You cannot be thinking that way. That is not the biblical view of marriage. That is not what we're supposed to be seeking in our marriage. There is no concession in the Bible for that line of thinking to get out of marriage. None. Now, if you're single, but you're longing for the married life, there is concession given to that. Um, the Bible certainly does allow for you to pursue marriage. I would say the Bible even recommends it and encourages that kind. There can be a great gain in pursuing marriage. However, I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Take a look at verse 17. Again, he starts talking about different things that seem kind of unrelated to marriage, but he brings it all back to it. Look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But you, if you are able also to become free, rather do that. 
For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. So again, he starts talking about things that seem rather unrelated to marriage. He starts talking about circumcision and slavery and things like that. Well, what's interesting is that concerning uh, circumcision, he says in verse 19 that both those who are circumcised, uncircumcised, doesn't matter. What you should be concerned about is keeping the commandments of God. And then concerning slaves, he says, you know, don't worry about it. Actually, you're already Christ's freedmen. And those who are free are already Christ's slave. That's not what matters. What matters is your service to God. Now, are there exceptions to these? Well, of course, Paul recommends, uh, encourages Timothy to become circumcised. He recommends Philemon let his slave Onesimus go. There are concessions made. Uh, as far as being married, there is a reason to be divorced. Jesus speaks about that. Paul speaks about death being one of those. There are sermons online. If you want to look into that as far as what the restrictions are in that matter, there are concessions given. For those who are single and want to be married, of course, there is, God is promoting that. I don't want anyone to walk away from here thinking that I am suggesting that everyone who is single ought not be married. That's not what I'm saying. There is a concession. I said I wouldn't do that, and I, I did it anyways. There is a concession that is made. However, Paul uses these examples to show that what's important is your service to God. And your service to God can be done in whatever circumstance you are in in life. And so wherever you are right now, figure out the way that you can be a service to the kingdom. The way that you can serve God. These circumstances are temporary, after all. And similar to that, similar to making this role our ultimate satisfaction, it can also lead us to treating each of these roles uh, as an idol of, of, of sorts. Um, perhaps the one who is, who is single can get so wrapped up in the idol of independence, uh, in pursuing their dreams, pursuing their, their career, pursuing their own independence, going out into the world and exploring, and no one and nothing is going to get in my way. But I'll be honest, as I look in the audience, I don't really see people wrapped up in, in that too much. What I see more of, actually, um, really I've seen more in, in, in my life, um, and I think what there is more of a danger is, is, is the potential for, for married couples to become so wrapped up in their own marriage, so wrapped up in themselves, that pretty much anyone outside of the family might as well not exist. That you put your own marriage on such a pedestal to the neglect of everyone outside of it. And this becomes especially true when that first baby comes along. Believe me, I speak from experience. You can get so wrapped up in the responsibilities, by the way, biblical responsibilities that you have within your family, that you begin to neglect everybody else. And that's not good. Now, Paul does talk about how there are responsibilities within marriage that we cannot neglect. Biblical responsibilities that, that might get in the way of doing other things, might get in the way of doing other godly things, by the way. Uh, Paul uh, says that the one who is married, their interests are divided, verses 33 and 34. However, we at least need to be mindful that this exists. And we cannot totally distance ourselves from the responsibility that we have to the church. When we are married, we still have an equal responsibility in serving everyone 
here without neglecting the responsibilities that we have within the family. But there can also be this temptation for both the married and the unmarried to, to set the spouse or the idea of a spouse on such a pedestal that it becomes an idol of sorts. For those who are married, they, they, they put that spouse, that they revere them to such high regard that they expect all of their life's uh, admirations, all of their goals to be satisfied through this particular person. Reminds me of, of Jacob, Rachel, Leah. You see how well that works. There's going to be disappointment if you make man your idol. That is inevitable. But for the single, perhaps the idol of pursuing marriage, uh, or that, that act of pursuing marriage becomes that idol. It becomes this obsession to such a degree that you begin neglecting other things in this world that you have responsibility to. We can't do that. These roles are temporary, and we are not going to find our ultimate satisfaction through them, or any other earthly role for that matter, except through God Himself. But, I don't want to say all these things to suggest that these aren't good. In fact, these roles are good. Both of these roles are good. Yes, they're temporary, but being married and being single is good. And this is actually a pretty profound statement that Paul is making. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 7. After discussing a specific aspect as to why being married is good, he says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 7, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as myself am, that is to say, single. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, there's some debate as to what that means, their own gift from God. Some would interpret that as this gift of God, meaning like a spiritual gift here. Like Paul has the gift of being single, like as if that is a, a spiritual gift like that of tongues or prophecy or something like that. I, I don't think that's what he's, he's talking about here. No, I think what he's talking about it's saying that each role, being married and being unmarried, is a gift. Each of those is a gift from God. Being married is a gift from God. And one aspect is in the context of, of verse 7, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 7. Because if you look at the end of chapter 6, the rampant sexual immorality was so strong in Corinth that it led to some to conclude, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, it seemed it led some to conclude that, well, we should... Never touch a woman, ever. So, sexual activity in any context is wrong. That's what some concluded. When Paul pretty much just says, well, no, that's, that's not true. No, it's good in the context of marriage. And it's something that couples should be seeking to fulfill in the other. After all, your body is not your own, it's your spouse's, right? You don't do it for your own desires, but you do it for the spouse. And there's much that is good in marriage. It's perhaps the most obvious application of Ecclesiastes 4, where two are better than one. Matthew 19, Jesus discusses marriage, and he brings it all the way back to the beginning, saying that God has joined the two together. If God has joined two together, that's a really good thing. Also in the beginning, man is alone, and what does God do? He gives him somebody else. He gives him a helper. He gives him a woman. And also, having children is seen as a wonderful blessing throughout the Scripture. This was the first blessing given to man, after all. God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. God said the same thing to Noah. God says the same thing to Abraham. Abraham's descendants would fill the earth, right? Like there would be so many. So many. Having children is a great blessing from God. But you see this perhaps most strongly if you were to follow 
those who are unable to have children. If you follow the women who are barren in Scripture, because barrenness seemed to be a curse of some kind in the Old Testament. Something that you are desperate to avoid. Because after all, the instruction was to be fruitful and multiply. Make more of God's people. So if you're unable to do that, well then you're failing in some regard. That you were going to have your name blotted out or cut off, as it says. So naturally, most everyone was married. They wanted to be married because they wanted to continue this. This was a great blessing to them. But what that meant was that those who were not married, those who did not have children, lepers, eunuchs, unmarried widows, well, they were undesirable, neglected, unnoticed, ultimately forgotten by society. By the way, not God's plan. That was not a part of God's intent. But I want you to notice something. And this brings us to talking about how being single is good and is a gift from God. I want you to read with me Isaiah chapter 56. I have it on the screen there. If you want to turn to it, you may. Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3. He says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. God speaks to the foreigner God speaks to the eunuch and says that you will be remembered. You will be remembered to such a degree that you will have a memorial in my house for everyone to remember you. To such a degree that he is saying that you are not going to be blotted out. You are not going to be cut off. And he says that you will have a name that is better than that of sons and daughters. You are not forgotten. You are not neglected. You are not thrown off to the side. No, you are remembered by God Himself. But my fear is, my fear is that these are just kind of words on a page to some who might really be struggling as far as this topic is concerned. Because this is a message of faith, after all. This is a message of faith. How does this read to you? Do you feel as though you have not been cut off? Do you feel as though you are being taken care of? Do you feel as though God remembers you? Because he says that he does. This is a message to the one who believes enough to sacrifice their own desires and pursuits in order to choose the things that pleases God, in order to keep his Sabbath, to keep his covenant. Being single is a gift from God. We talked earlier about Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, Jesus says some pretty difficult things about marriage. So difficult, in fact, that the disciples listen to it and they say to themselves, Whoa, it's better to not get married at all. And perhaps even more shocking than what Jesus has said then is what Jesus says next. He doesn't correct them and say, Well, you misunderstood me about all that marriage stuff. It's actually really good. No, no. What he says is, Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe it is better to not get married. And then he starts talking about that eunuch again. I believe bringing up the eunuch as, as a metaphor uh, for being single. And he says, some are born eunuchs, some are made eunuchs, and some choose to be eunuchs 
for the sake of the kingdom. Some are choosing to walk in this way for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus sees being single as a benefit to the kingdom. Are you a benefit to the kingdom? Do you feel like a benefit to the kingdom? Are you serving within the kingdom to the best of your ability? Because Jesus sees you as valuable, as one who can serve in the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul has some pretty strong words to say about how being single is good. So strong, in fact, that if you were to take 1 Corinthians 7, it's like, let's just say that was the only thing that was written about being married or unmarried in Scripture, you'd probably walk away thinking, yeah, it's better to be unmarried. Now, if you're already married, you can stay that way. But otherwise, yeah, you'd better not be married. He, he speaks of it in such strong terms. I mean, look at what he says in verse 32. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 32, he says, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that, uh, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul calls the married person distracted. The married person has their interests divided while the single person can have undistracted devotion to the Lord. Does this describe you? Does this describe you and your walk with the Lord? Are you undistracted? Now, this isn't to say that all single people have more time than those who are married. That's, that's not necessarily the case. But what it does suggest pretty clearly is that they do have less biblical responsibilities. And because of that, or, or Paul calls it trouble in verse 28, if you go back up there. But because of that, they can serve in a capacity that those who are married cannot. They can if they choose to serve in that way. Both being married and being single is good when that role is not being used to just fulfill their own desires, but being used for the benefit of others. So, if the time comes when one who is unmarried becomes married, well, then they're just exchanging one good gift for another. And, if the time comes... When one who is married becomes unmarried. Even though that transition is far more difficult. Even though it's not the gift that perhaps you've asked for. And even though it's certainly not wrapped as a gift. God is still good. You are still exchanging one good gift for another. But it's up to you to use it as good. But the ultimate reason why each role is good is because each role reflects and promotes the gospel. Each role reflects and promotes the gospel. Paul, on several occasions, uses marriage as a metaphor for Christ 
in the church. He uses it as this example for Christ in the church. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, you see uh, an example that we're all pretty familiar with. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, he talks about Paul connects the role of the wife and the husband to that of Christ and the church. That the wife is to submit to the husband in the same way that the church submits to Christ. And the husband ought to sacrifice himself for his wife as Christ did for the church. So a good marriage that is doing both of those things is a reflection to the world about Christ and the church. And what a beautiful thing that is. What a beautiful relationship that is. We reflect the gospel in our marriage. But we also promote the gospel in our marriage. We promote the gospel in our marriage in that the spouse is looking out for the spiritual well-being of the other. Look back at Ephesians chapter 5. The husband, I love, I love the way this is described here. Uh, it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Then later on it says that she would be holy and blameless. I mean, I picture, I think, I picture a good husband as one who is lifting up his spouse before God and saying, look at her. She is holy and blameless. That's what a husband is trying to do. Is that what we're doing? Or are we throwing more shame on our wives? Are we criticizing our wives? Are we throwing blame and placing blame on her when we ought not to? No, we promote the gospel in that a husband is looking out for the spiritual well-being of his wife. And then another familiar passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, we see the opposite. Where you see a wife who is looking out for the spiritual well-being of her husband. It says in verse 1, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, and I don't know if that means that they're not a Christian, or they're a Christian, but they're just not obeying the way that they should, but any of them who are disobedient to the word, that they might be one without a word. Does that mean she's winning him over to her side of things, to her side of the argument, trying to win every argument or something like that? No, actually, it's one without a word. She's trying to bring him to Christ. That's what a spiritually godly-minded woman, wife, is trying to do for her husband. She is trying to save her husband in some respect. And what a beautiful thing that is, is that you had the closeness of a marriage relationship that is constantly looking out for the other. Those of us who are married in the, this audience, we have someone with us at home who is looking out for us spiritually. And not just providing for our physical interests or things like that. Certainly we're doing that as well. But they are looking out for us spiritually. If, in fact, it's being lived out the way it's supposed to. What a wonderful relationship that is. And even beyond that, saving the family could, uh, could mean talking to our kids, right? It, those of us with children. We are those who are constantly trying to see, uh, constantly trying to spread the word to them as well. I hope every parent in this audience sees themselves as an evangelist to some degree. That we are sharing the message of Christ to our children as well. What a wonderful gift, what a wonderful blessing that is, and certainly a way in which a married couple can promote the gospel. But to the unmarried, you too reflect the gospel and promote the gospel. You're a reflection of Christ himself. Your life can portray the biblical concept that our identity is found in Christ in a way that a married person cannot. 
And while this is certainly a concept that all of us need to be mindful of, that our identity is in Christ, it can be seen most clearly through the life of one who is single. Because the world would tell us that we're not truly fulfilled until we have different voids in us filled. Some would say that we can, all, we can fill all of these voids ourselves. Some of those would suggest, though, that you have to be married in some respect. But a Christian knows that their fulfillment, their identity, comes from Christ. One who is single can portray that concept more clearly because of their circumstances. They can say to themselves, look, I don't need a spouse. Not because I'm so great, that's how the world might, might put it, but because He is so great. My identity is in Him, and that's what I'm focused on. And really, this has been the message of 1 Corinthians to this point. He's been saying, look, stop looking to these worldly things for your identity. It's not who baptized you. That's not where your identity is found. It's not about these worldly philosophies. That's not where your identity is found. It's not in the temple. No, it's about being transformed through the cross. That's where your identity is found. And the life of a single reflects Christ himself. Look at Isaiah 53 with me. Isaiah 53 Remember, we talked earlier about the Old Testament picture of marriage um, and having children. There was this fear of being cut off if you were not married and you did not have, have children. And so those who were unmarried were these undesirable, forgotten people, right? Well, look, at me, or look with me at Isaiah 53 and verse 8. Referring to this suffering servant, or as Philip points out in Acts chapter 8, Jesus says, verse 8, by oppression... And judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. People of Jesus' generation considered his name to be cut off. Jesus wasn't married. Jesus didn't have children. And yet, it says that he will see his offspring. How is that true? How is that the case? How does Jesus see his offspring? Look at verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. I believe what we're seeing here in verse 11 is a prophecy as to how children of God are going to be made through the cross. Of how children of God are made because of Jesus. It's not about being married and having kids in the new covenant. That's not how more children of God are made. No, the children of God are made through the gospel. Children of God are made through the cross. That's how children of God are made. It's through the sacrifice of Christ, which brings me to the point in the way the life of a single promotes the gospel. The Christian who is single sets out to save others. There is more opportunity to make children of God. Right after this beautiful chapter about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah continues in chapter 54 and verse 1, the very next verse. 
He says, shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs. Essentially, make a house as big as you possibly can because you're going to have so much. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. It's because of Jesus that the barren one can sing and have children to possess these nations. It's because of Jesus that they have to widen their tents because children of God are made through him. If you look later, uh, uh, later on in verse 5, it says that your husband is the Lord. He is your Redeemer. Look at Christ. Look at the life that Christ lived and what he was able to accomplish, the good that he was able to do because he did not have a family to provide for. Did this make him less of a follower of God? Did this make him less of a man? No. No, the New Testament is full of Christians who walked in Jesus' footsteps. Those who were unmarried, young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile. All who are willing to sacrifice worldly pleasures of having a family for the sake of, a king, of the kingdom. But we live in a broken world. One that tries to distort things that God has made good. And in so many ways, marriage has been distorted. But in so many ways, the freedom of being single has been distorted as well. Even though both roles are temporary, marriage and unmarried, or being unmarried, is, they are both gifts from God. Gifts that reflect essential aspects of the gospel and can serve in the kingdom in beautiful ways. Are you serving in the kingdom in the way in which you have been called at this moment? Now, both of these roles come with difficulties. So we ought not look to the other side and think to ourselves, well, you know what, they got it made. They just, they, they, their life is so much better because of that particular circumstance that they are in. No, don't think that way. Walk as you were called. On the flip side, though, both roles come with wonderful benefits. So don't look at the other side in some covetous way and think to yourself that, well, if I only had that, then my life would be, my life would be better. No, rather walk as you were called. I'd like to end by looking at Colossians chapter 3. I know that the context of this particular passage isn't necessarily uh, being married or unmarried, but I do think the principle applies pretty well. Verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Are we working in our marriage and in our single life in the name of the Lord? Are we giving thanks to God for the gift of being married or the gift of being single? Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Whether we are married, whether we are single, we must work as unto the Lord. So married people, use your time to glorify God. Use your marriage to glorify God in the way that He has told us to. Making the most of our time in the service to our family, in the service to our spouse, 
and without the neglect to the service that we owe the church. To those who are single, use your time to glorify God in the ways that He has told you to. Not using the fewer biblical responsibilities that you have to just kind of do whatever it is that you want to do, but using that time to serve God, making the most in your service to Him and to others. If you like following along in the book, you can go ahead and turn to number 159. I, I particularly love this song that was chosen. I hope you see that both of these roles, uh, both being married and, and being single, is a role of service. But it's a role of service that is aided through Christ. God giving each of us strength to, to serve in the way that He has told us. There's an invitation that we like to offer. We're going to sing this particular song uh, in a way to offer that invitation for anyone out there to become a Christian at this moment or to anyone out there to restore their life to God. God is seeking for you to come to Him. I want you to look at this song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. The first verse says, My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. Can we all say that? Can we with confidence say that God or Jesus is mine? For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Do we feel that way? I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Jesus sacrificed every pleasure in this world to serve us. Give your life to him. If you need to receive this invitation, please do so now as we stand and as we sing.